morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. And for all of you, I know we have many watching online. Thank you for joining us for church online today. Really glad that we can gather in this place. Today we are bringing this series that we've called Jesus is Life to a Close. And really the heart behind this series is for us to remember who we are and why we are here. And I don't know about you, but I think this is so important. I think, in fact, I think it's mission critical that we remember who we are and why we are here. Churches that forget this, and you know this, you've seen this. Churches that forget this, uh, two things happen. They either cease to exist or even worse, they end up steering people away from Jesus. And the truth is every church exists for, for the same basic reasons, right? Uh, we're all here because, because we want to, to love God and we want to worship him. We're all, we all exist because we want to, to love others, love our neighbors well, be known for our love. Uh, every church exists to make a difference in this world. We all, we all want to participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. But it's also important for every church to kind of create some language that helps us as a church remember that this really is who we are, and this is why we are here. This is what we're striving towards. And we're not going to do it perfectly. In fact, we've said it more than once. We are perfectly imperfect. But this is who we are, and this is why we're here. A few years ago, our, our leadership got together, and we sort of came up with this statement for, for Riverside. And we've said it every week this month. I won't make you say it again today, but I, I would invite you to, to just read the words on the screen as I read them aloud. We believe we are the body of Christ an expression of the body of Christ here in this place, in this city, for such a time as this. We believe we're called to live different. We acknowledge that what's normal in this world isn't working. And what Jesus offers is a different way to live, a way that leads to life. And we want to do that through inviting people to come together. And that's different. We live in a world that's never been more divided. We want to do what Jesus invites us to do. We want to invite people to come together. We want to invest in each other. That's different. In a world where people are more isolated than ever before, we want to be the kind of people that are investing deeply in each other's lives. And we want to engage in what matters most. And let me tell you, that's different. In a world where people want to get all they can get for themselves, we want to, we want to engage in things that make an eternal impact. And we do all of that. All of that, not for our glory, not for our fame, not for our name, but for the name, the fame, and the glory of Jesus. This is who we are. This is why we are here. And we want to remember that. We want to live this out and we don't want to ever forget it. But the problem is, and you know this, so many people are living, but they're not really living. They're living, but they're not really alive. A lot of Christian people are living, but they're not really living. I love the way Mark Batterson once said it. He said it this way. He said, quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Isn't that how a lot of people are living, right? Quit living your life as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. A few months ago, uh, Alicia and I, my wife and I decided it was time to show our kids one of the greatest movies of all time. Actually, it was, it was my decision. I don't think she cared. But I, I, and you may actually disagree or push back. You may think there's another movie that deserves this title of the greatest movie of all time. But I think pretty much every youth minister agrees with this, Grace, and you can back me up on this. I, I wanted my kids to watch The Princess Bride. Remember this movie? Uh, Princess Bride, great all-time movie. Um, 
Uh, in the movie, there's this scene, if you've ever seen it, if you haven't, this is your homework, go home and watch it. But there's this scene in the movie where this guy by the name of Inigo Montoya brings his friend Wesley to this, this other guy by the name of Miracle Max. And he brings his friend Wesley to see Miracle Max because his friend Wesley is dead. And he's hoping Miracle Max can perform a miracle and, and, and bring Wesley back to life. And then Miracle Max has this great line. He's looking at Wesley and he says to Inigo Montoya, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. I don't know about you. I feel like we're living in a world where most people are mostly dead and only slightly alive, right? We're living in a world where, where people are trying as hard as they can to solve this problem. Like, what would it take for you to feel fully alive? What would it take for you to have a rich and satisfying life? What would it take for you to be truly content? And we've literally tried everything under the sun to find an answer to this question, to find an answer to this problem. And we think, man, it's a financial problem, right? If we could just make more money, if we could have more in the bank, if we had more money to spend to get this or get that, then we would be, we would be truly happy. We'd be fully alive, right? Some of you know the actor, comedian Jim Carrey. I love what he once said about this. He said, I wish... He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. We think if we had more money, it would make us more happy. We would be fully alive. But our problem is not a financial problem. Our problem is not a physical problem. I mean, sure, we could all, you know, exercise more and eat better and that would make us feel better. And, and we should do that probably, right? But that's not the answer to the problem. That we think that, that if we could just get, get better, and I know some people, maybe in the room, I know people watching online, some people are, are literally physically, medically sick, serious medical issues, and they think, man, if those could just get solved or resolved, then, then I would feel fully alive, and I don't want to diminish that pain or that hardship in any way. But I know like a lot of you know, because I've sat in more than one hospital room, I've sat beside people who are literally on their deathbed, but they were fully alive. The problem's not a medical problem. It's not a physical problem. That we think it's a relational problem, but it's not a relational problem. It's not a career problem. It's not a, if, if this would just get better, then, then I would feel fully alive and I would be, have a rich and satisfying life. I would be content. I would be satisfied if this just got better. That's not the problem. The problem, the problem is actually a spiritual problem. And until we come to terms with that fact, until we get our hearts and minds and our lives around the fact that, that the problem we're up against, it's a spiritual problem. And, and there has to be a spiritual answer to that spiritual problem so that we can experience the life that our souls are craving. We'll never experience the rich, the satisfying, the abundant life that Jesus invites us to live. The good news is that there is an answer. God has the answer to that problem. 
And the great news, and Rich just alluded to this in his experience in another country, the good news is that it doesn't depend on your economic situation. It doesn't depend on your relational situation, your family situation. It doesn't depend on your career situation. Like this invitation is on the table for everybody at every place, at every station in life, in every country, in every nation that speaks every tongue and every tribe in every corner of the earth. The invitation is on the table for anyone who would come and believe it, and receive it and experience it. We started this series a few weeks ago with these words of Jesus. This, this is the invitation right here. John 10, 10. This is where we started these words of Jesus. In fact, a few years ago, I asked Bob and Shirley Monroe to put these on a sign. And they're on the back wall. If you walk out this morning, you'll see these words. The last thing you'll see before you leave the room. I wanted them there so that as a church, this would be the last thing we see every time we leave this time of worship together. These words of Jesus. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it Abundantly, Another translation says it this way. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is why he came. This is why Jesus came from heaven to earth, to give us a rich and satisfying life. Like that's the invitation. That's the offer that's on the table. The question is, does that, does that describe the life you're living? Does that describe the life you're living? The life you're living right now, is it a rich and satisfying and abundant life? Or do you feel like you're mostly dead and only slightly alive? Are you living your life as if the purpose of your life is to arrive safely at death? About 30 years after the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... There was a man by the name of Paul who had experienced this abundant life that Jesus offers. He had a radical, life-changing experience with Jesus, turned his life completely upside down all the way around. He spent the rest of his life going from place to place, sharing that story and starting churches in different cities, different places in Greece and Asia. One of those cities was a place by the name of Ephesus. Uh, he spent three years there. He started this church there in the middle of this incredible city, and he really grew to love these people. And after he left, he would send letters back to continue to encourage them and teach them and instruct them, hey, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means. This is, this is the way to experience the life that Jesus wants you to have. And I want you to hear this morning some of what Paul wrote to, to these friends, the, the, these first-generation Jesus followers living in a city not unlike Dallas, a place filled with people who were looking for life in all the wrong directions, worshiping everything under the moon, spending money and living life in every direction that you can possibly imagine, and coming up empty. He says to these people living in this place in this city, Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, once you were dead, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I'm going to pause right there because Paul doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, once you were mostly dead. He says, once you were dead, dead. And the word dead here, it's, I mean, there's, you know what this means. It means the same thing in English as it means in the original language here. To be dead is to be literally separated from life. When you're physically dead, you're separated from your life. To be spiritually dead, same thing. 
to be separated from life. Paul says you were dead. Why? Because of your disobedience and sin. And this, by the way, may be the greatest lie you've ever believed. You probably believed at some point that your sin makes you bad and that Jesus came to make you better. That's not at all what Paul says. Paul doesn't say that your sin, your disobedience makes you bad or makes you a bad person. That's actually not true. What sin does, what living your life in disobedience to God does, is it makes you dead. Not bad. It makes you dead, separated from life. Paul says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like Paul just got real right here. I don't know about you, but when I think about my own sin, my own life, the times when I felt like and I've known I'm not doing what I should be doing, or I'm doing something I know I shouldn't do, I know when, when I'm in the middle of sin or disobeying God, when I'm living in disobedience to God, I don't think of that in terms of I'm obeying the devil. I don't think about that in, in terms of allowing the commander of the power in the unseen world to work in my heart as I refuse to obey God. I just don't think that. We tend to downplay the gravity of our sin. Paul does not. He calls it what it is. Sin is sin. And whenever you sin, this is what you're doing. You are obeying the devil. You're allowing the, 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 the one who is the commander of the power of the unseen world to be at work in your heart. By the way, this, this is the thief. This is the robber that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. 10. This is the one who, who is out there seeking to steal, kill, and destroy your life. The devil himself, Satan himself, he wants to steal your life. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal every good, God, every good gift that God has ever given you. He wants to steal your time. He wants to steal your treasure. He wants to steal your attention. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to steal your love. He wants to steal your, your, your past, your today, your tomorrow. He wants to steal everything he can and take everything he can from you. He is a thief. He wants to remove every good gift that God has for you from your life. He wants to kill you. And that may sound like I'm over-exaggerating, but I want you to know I am not. Like you have an enemy and he is real and he, has, he is relentless. He has nothing to lose and he has everything to gain. He wants, he wants you to be physically dead and spiritually dead. He wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your relationships. He wants to kill your career. He wants to kill everything he can. He, he, he comes up with schemes and plots and ploys for your death and demise. He wants to destroy and don't miss this. Most often the way he destroys you is through deception. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And he wants to deceive you over and over and over again. He tells you, hey, come, come, come do this. Try this and you'll be happy. Drink this and you'll fit in. Do this, have this, buy this, and you'll have the best life ever. He's going to tell you, hey, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. And guess what? It's all a lie. Some of you know I'm speaking the truth because you've bought into it before. 
And you woke up one day and you looked around and you realized everything you cared about is gone. There is a thief. There is a robber. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul says everyone has been deceived. He says all of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. All of us have been deceived. And by the way when Paul writes that he's including himself in that statement. He would say of himself that that he's the chief of all sinners. He, he, would, he, would, he would tell you, I know we've all been deceived because I've been deceived. He understood the gravity of his sin. And he understood that the, the, the sin in his life, it didn't make him bad. No. It separated him from the love of God. The sin in his heart and his life, it didn't make him mostly dead and slightly alive. No, 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 he was dead, dead, apart from Jesus. But he also knew that there was more to the story. If our sin and our disobedience, if that was the end of the story, that would not be good news. If the answer was, well, we got to try harder, we got to do more. If we just work a little harder and keep the rules a little bit better, then, then we'll be back in God's grace and favor. But that's not the good news. Here's the good news, according to Paul, verse 4. But God. By the way, I think almost all good news starts with these two words, but God. But God so, is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And by the way, just so you know, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Don't ever forget that. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. This is good news. The good news isn't that you get a second chance. The good news isn't that, that you got to try harder or do better. The good news isn't that there are no consequences for your sin or that there's no punishment for your sin. The good, news, the good news isn't that our enemy has been locked up and won't bother you anymore. You may be wondering, well, what in the world is the good news? This is the good news. God is so rich in mercy. And he loves you so much that even in our death, he has given us new life through Jesus. A, a few years ago, I had an incredible opportunity to go on a hunting trip, a duck hunting trip uh, in Arkansas. Friends of mine, some guys wanted to take this trip. And so we, uh, we went up uh, north of Searcy. There was a cabin there in the middle of nowhere. And it was an amazing experience. I, just so you know, I'm, like I've been hunting, but I would not call myself a hunter. Like that's not something I do very often. But these guys were going and I was invited to go. And I thought that would be, that'd be a great experience. It'd be a lot of fun. And we did. And it was an, an incredible experience. We got to, to go up to Arkansas. We, we got to the cabin that night. And one of the guys who is a hunter set up some, some cans for me to shoot, get a little target practice in. And even though I'm not a hunter, I would, I would say I'm a pretty decent shot. I can, I can hit a, a can sitting there by itself. Hitting a moving duck, that's a different different deal but it was going to be a fun thing and and I was excited to go try it out the next morning oh, I, I didn't know what I got myself into we woke up like at three o'clock they set their alarms way early 
They wanted to, to get out there. Some of you guys that are hunters, you do this. You're crazy, but you do this. They wanted to get out there before the sun came up so they would be ready, you know. And so we get up. It's freezing cold. It's December. I literally put on every piece of clothing I brought because I was so cold, and I do not like being cold. And uh, we, we get all dressed up. We get all of our coffee loaded up, snacks loaded up, ammunition loaded up into the trucks. We drive out from the middle of nowhere to another place that's also in the middle of nowhere. And there's these two John boats literally tr- tied up in some brush by a small patch of water called a creek. We load up in these two little John boats and we start trolling down this creek, breaking ice as we're going. Again, I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing? We finally get to this place where the, the creek opens up into a pond. And I think we've hit the jackpot. There are ducks everywhere. I'm telling you, I'm like, this is amazing. They weren't real ducks. So, uh, duck hunters, you know this, you put out these fake ducks, these, these decoys, and they're all over the water. And you do this so that when ducks are flying overhead, they see the fake ducks, they think, oh, there's a party going on, let's go have some fun. So we dodge all the fake ducks, and we finally get over to the duck blind that's covered in fake trees and dead trees and camouflage. And we, we get in there, and we, you know, tie the boats up, unload everything. And at this moment, it's really a pretty magical, supernatural experience. It's a beautiful morning. The sun's coming up over the water. It's gorgeous. The air is crisp. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And then it happens. Uh, These ducks start flying overhead. And two of the guys with us, they're like world-class duck callers. They're unbelievable. And they start, one's at this end, one's at this end, and they start working these ducks. And I'm telling you, if you've never seen this, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. These ducks are flying way overhead, and they hear these duck calls, and they, they turn. They literally change direction. And they start coming down towards us, and they're circling, they're circling, they're calling, they're calling. These fake duck calls are going off left and right. The ducks are coming down. These fake ducks are sitting on the water, and they come all the way down, and they land on the water right in front of us. And I find myself wanting to scream, it's a trap! (laughs) Run for your lives! (laughs) Those ducks aren't real. These trees aren't real. Those duck calls aren't real. It's all fake. But the guns are up. And shots are fired. And ducks are dying everywhere. And let me tell you, there, we live in a world where there is so much that has been created and designed for your death and destruction. And you can't trust your eyes. You're going to see things and it looks real. But it's not. You're going to hear things and it's going to sound real. But it's not. It's all fake. It's all a ploy. It's all a plot for your death and your destruction. And the one who is hunting us is really good. He's really good at designing things for you to look at. They're going to trap your eyes. He's really good at whispering in your ear things that are not true and making you believe they are true. He's really good at telling you, hey, this is the way to experience the way, the truth, and the life that you're looking for. But I'm here to tell you, it is all a plot and a ploy for your death and destruction, and right when you think you get to the moment where you're going to have exactly what you want, shots are going to be fired. And you're going to find yourself dead. But that's not the end of your story. 
Because Jesus said, I came. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And you might think that's not even possible. Most people think that death is the most powerful force on the planet. Is there anything stronger than death? I mean, when you're dead, you're dead, right? There's something stronger than the power of death, and it's called the grace of God. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to extend that grace to you so you could experience life. The grace of Jesus gives you that life. That's why Jesus came from heaven to earth. And he died on the cross for you and for me. And if you want to find that life, don't go looking for Miracle Max. He's going to let you down. If you want to find that life, it's only found in Jesus. And some of you, listen to me, some of you have found that life. Some of you at some point in your life, you came to these waters of baptism and you experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in those waters of baptism. But at some point, like this morning, if we were to ask you, you would just confess it. You've gone back to the grave. You you went back to the grave, back to those things that that you killed, that, that died and were buried in those waters of baptism. You've gone back there looking for life again. Why? You know why? Because the father of lies, the deceiver, the thief, the robber, he's really good at his job. And he's going to try to deceive you over and over and over again. And to get you to go back to those things that you killed that are dead and buried to find the life you're looking for. And you'll find it over and over again. They're not there. And if you find yourself there, having experienced the grace of God, but going back to the grave, can I, can, I, can I encourage you to remember your baptism? Can I remind you of what happened in those waters? That it's there that you experience the grace of God. And just like the deceiver wants to deceive you over and over and over again to get you to go back to the grave... Your Father in heaven wants to remind you over and over again of the grace of God revealed in Christ Jesus so you'll step back out of that grave, back into the life that he's calling you to live. And if you're in the room today or if you're watching online and you've never been baptized, you've never stepped into the waters of baptism to experience the love and the grace and the mercy of God, I want to invite you to do that. Here's the promise. When you do, when you do, the Spirit of God will live inside of you. And here's the promise that Jesus made. The one who's living inside of you is greater than the one who's in the world. And even though you're going to keep coming up against the plot and the ploys of the deceiver, the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy your life, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And you will have the opportunity and the ability and the power to overcome. And not only that, you will get to experience the life that Jesus offers here in this world and, oh, by the way, forever. That's the invitation. That's not the invitation of this church. That's the invitation of Jesus. Church, if you would, let's stand. By the way, um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7, that's all one sentence in the original language. So let me read you how that sentence ends. Paul says all of that that God did through Jesus, 
God did all that so that God can point to us. I love this. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. We, the church, we are the testimony of God's grace to the world around us and to every generation. We are the evidence of the love and the grace and the mercy of the power of God at work in our hearts and lives to the world around us. This this is what happens when we step into this life. We get to become the evidence of the grace and the mercy of the great love of God. And this morning, this is my prayer, that that every person in this room would leave this place fully alive. And so this morning, if, if, if you've never been baptized, I want to just put this invitation back on the table. It's there every day. It's there every Sunday. But I want to remind you it's here today. If you've never made that decision and you want to make that decision, I'm going to be standing right over here. Come see me and let me know. I would love to help you. Well, we've got, we've got a couple of elders in the room. I'm going to ask them to make their way to the back of the room during this song. And if you want to come find them, you can tell them, hey, I want to, I want to take that next step. I want to be baptized. I want to experience this life we've been talking about. They would love to help you. We would love to help you do that. And for the rest of us, if you've been baptized but you've gone back to the grave, let me encourage you. We sang it a while ago. Step out of that grave and let's step back into the life that Jesus offers and let's live that life, that abundant, rich, and satisfying life that Jesus offers every one of us. Let's sing.